everyone. I am Dean Gemmel, and I'm joined once again by the CEO of Broker Buddha, Jason Keck. And uh, boy, we just wrapped up with a, uh, a really great interview, a second one here in this uh, podcast series. Jason, David Carpentier from uh, Shirley. Um, uh, how, did, how do you know David, actually? How did you become, become an acquaintance of his? Yeah, Dave and I met through the New York City uh, insurtech scene, the startup scene, uh, you know, an ex-broker who uh, cracked into the insurtech world, uh, was an early client or early, early adopter of ours. And, you know, just another young, hungry entrepreneur with a background in sports who I found really interesting to talk to and, and learn from. We talked to a lot of agencies that sort of carve out a, a niche for themselves. He's sort of ultra niche, though. He's like the niche before the niche happens. <laughs> he is super early, but uh, you know, I think his background in the space means that he's got his finger on the pulse uh, and he understands where the opportunity is. So, um, look, I think like every entrepreneur, you know, not everything he's do he's going to do is going to be exactly right, but he's got the capacity to learn and react. We, he talked a lot about that in the interview is, you know, the, the pace of learning is really growing. And I think, you know, provided he's got, uh, you know, his ear to the ground, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna grow, he's gonna evolve, he's gonna iterate. And I think he's gonna be, you know, hugely successful. Yeah, interesting guy, uh, interesting conversation. So uh, let's get right to it. And welcome to the Enlightened Agent Podcast, the show that tells the stories of insurance brokers and professionals and tries to make some sense of where this industry is headed. Uh, today, I think we have a guest who can help with that. David Carpentier, co-founder and CEO of Assurely. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gus. Yeah, hey, it's uh, great to have you here, David. Um, so I know a little bit about you from I don't know hockeyfights.com. I looked up two things there, but uh, but uh, but that's not the whole story with you, of course. So tell me, give me a little bit about your, of your backstory and, and what inspired you to start Assurely, which you're a co-founder of. Got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, Google search finds out that I I was really bad at fighting left-handers when I was coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, grew up in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, uh, I was able to play hockey through my mid twenties. Uh, and what happens when you're a highly motivated, educated ex jock, that's not good enough at being a jock anymore is you find some financial products to swing. And I landed in the insurance space. So I uh, grew up at a, at, a, at a great middle market insurance broker called USI. Loved it there. Had a great experience there. Um, that's kind of where I kicked off in uh, my career and, and grew uh, myself in the insurance space. And then, and then what made you want to start, you know, co found the firm you're at now, what made you see, what opportunity do you see in the market that made you want to start as Shirley? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's probably a common theme with a lot of folks in, in, in my, uh, in my shoes is you, you get a, you get a bite or you find out what the word or the phrase innovators dilemma means, especially at a corporate level. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, specifically at USI, not to name names, but, uh, but there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant humans at USI. Um, a lot of extremely, extremely talented folks. But when, when innovation means disrupting your own business model, and that is kind of, where, where you kind of get stuck, 
it becomes an uncomfortable place for somebody like me that was early thirties had seen a little bit of, of success already and candidly just had a little bit of, of desire to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that, that what USI or locked in or anybody, the, the brokers were, was, was wrong. I just had a, a sense that there was another way of doing it down the road. I also had the tolerance. I think I also had tolerance to saying I can take a 10 year, 10 year swing at this. Um, yeah, the, the innovator's dilemma is real, David. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, for, for those who don't know about it, right, it's this idea that at large companies, uh, the potential for change is just really, really hard, right? You've got um, long development cycles, low tolerance for risk. Um, you know, clearly, these companies have done things really well, and that they've done those things well because they focused on them. So, yeah. well, you know, new opportunities are interesting, but they can often be distractions. So, the, the risk they have is that they that they don't go after those or they don't find a way to go after those and that they lose you know good people like you um, but in a lot of cases they can weather those but it doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to go out and go after those new ideas so kudos to you for for taking the plunge on that and, and getting the company off the ground so I appreciate that and also I think the USA's defense I don't think they lost me it was a very open conversation right That's fair. it was a very open conversation and it's also um, there's, there's the other side of this where when certain activities, whether it's, it's sports or some other discipline, that if you do things a certain way and you're rewarded for it consistently, changing from that is is difficult. Sure. Right. right. Um, yeah, it works for you. When you continue to grow a top line of a business and um, private equity sponsors continue to be happy with the results and, and, and um, you know, investors are happy. Um, there's not necessarily a, a reason to change. And so you take innovators dilemma, you take what now I've learned what channel conflict is not only from a corporate level, but also internally. Um, you know, I think something that you, I don't know, Jay, Jay, you tell me, do you battle channel conflict by saying, I'm going to make that producer's role easier and maybe diminish their value a little bit, or do you run into, you know, internal agent conflict in your business? Uh, we, um, not from the people we're selling to. In our business, we sell to the executives, um, the principals of the agencies, and the people who care about efficiencies and client experience. Um, we do run into a little bit of conflict uh, at times with the users who are saying, oh, what's wrong with what we're doing now? And I don't see any reason to change that type of thing. But that uh, we, we tend to get through that pretty quickly once they once they get experience with the platform. So. Um, so yeah, not not as much uh, from a channel conflict perspective. Do you? Is that something you're dealing with? Uh, no, we kind of ripped the bandaid off of that. But I think just kind of in hindsight, you know, when you kick your feet back and talk to some of your old friends in the business, um, you know, if you're going to go in and sell to one of the the big the big channels, some direct distribution of of certain products, you know, the executive story down to you know a high performing producer is a difficult conversation. Yep. You're saying, hey, you're bringing in, um, you know, a dollar of revenue, uh, but guess what? We're only going to compensate you going forward on 70% of that, which the year before we were compensating you on 100% of that. <laughs> They're like, hey, well, cool. I'm going to go across the street. Over the next 24 months, I'm going to migrate my book across the street. Yeah. And so now you have the same thing is it's not just the insurance companies that are are, don't want to pay the the cost of acquisition to the broker, but even internally is, you know, if you start disrupting your internal, you know, 
business development channels, yeah. um, there's, there's problems there. And I think what that's created for us as, you know, somebody who's, who's maybe trying to bring a different model to the, to the market is it's created a little bit of, of a, uh, I don't know what, what the analogy is here, Jason, but it's, there's a little more runway um, because mm. those are real challenges, I think, for the incumbents. Yep. Right. Um, and so I think uh, we don't have to be perfect to necessarily add value. Um, it also gives us a little more, a little more of a leash to make some mistakes um, and correct those before there's full adoption of of some of these different, you know, operating well, models from the intermediaries. That's- yeah, I mean, that's exactly the dilemma is the large companies don't have the, the tolerance for that. Whereas, you know, you can get things wrong, you know, four days a week. And if you get something right on day five, then you made progress. So, uh, and that's, you know, batting only 200, but uh, still still making a move. So, there you go. So, um, I have a little story actually uh, it happened in an internal call yesterday. So, we did okay. kind of a, um, uh, we did like a, a quarterly meeting here internally, right? And one of our data analysts, um, young, extremely bright uh, person, uh, probably a little more academic focus than grinder focus, which is a little unique at an early stage. Right. right? Um, but he kind of popped up and he says, well, talk to us about your unique value proposition. Cause like a lot of other folks like me, um, when you're kind of in a room and you see some of the traditional ways that things are done and you're just like, well, that just doesn't make sense. Why? And right. responses because, right? Mm-hmm. And so he kind of challenged us in an awesome way to kind of distill down the value proposition, even internally, right? Where I kind of wanted to move on with the meeting, so it was kind of a pain in the ass. But, um, <laughs> but uh, my co-founder, a uh, gentleman named Ty Saglo, who a lot of people know in the industry, um, he so eloquently put it, and then, of course, pure self-promoter that he is, he pulls out his book. He's like, look at page 74 of my book and read the next 14 pages. <laughs> he talks legitimately about some of the challenges of, uh, you know, innovation teams or lack thereof, or what the dynamics are in these large organizations with a, with a focus on the insurance space. So here's a plug for Ty on Amazon, the making of lemonade by Ty Sagalo. Nice. That was good to have a book to plug. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I want my commission. Um, yeah. For how many books come through, Jason? You know, Jason, maybe you can put this on Instagram and say, yep. click on the link, click through to buy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, down here. Yeah, just, just uh, there's the button. We'll get you, we'll get you some love, Ty. a hot link. Yeah. And you said you're taking a 10-year swing at this. How far, how many years are you into this so far? I think, it, I don't think that's, it's that calculated other than the fact <laughs> that I started making money relatively early. I was a single guy. I didn't have a lot of expenses. I had very right. little debt from school. I mean, God, I haven't owned a car since 2006. <laughs> I, I, I met you in New York at a meeting and you bicycled there. So, I ah, that. oh yeah, yeah, of course yeah. I did. Yeah. I was, I was a city bike fanatic. Um, my, uh, it also helped you keep a little, a little fit. Yep. Yeah. It's helpful for um, that. Yeah. My, uh, one of my close buds and I, we would always check uh, the city bike stats, but that guy, he was afraid he would take a city bike for four, like four blocks. So he always, had, he always beat me. Easy fun. So, so, so David, uh, tell us about Ashirley. What, what is Ashirley? I mean, you, you, you clearly left the mothership and, and have kind of gone out on your own. Tell us about the company. Um, you know, you, you talked a bit about the founding story, but uh, tell us a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we're, we're really trying to bring a new model to the insurance industry. 
Um, so people oftentimes ask, are we a broker? Are we an MGA, et cetera, et cetera. The answer is yes. Cool. But at its core, we, we, you know, we build new or adjust existing insurance products for changing industries. And, you know, the last 12 months as a, as a case study, the world's changing and the acceleration of change is not going backwards. Right. And when the world changes, customers change. Um, the way people do business change. And inherently from an insurance perspective, risks change. And the insurance industry needs to adjust to those risks and adjust to those risks fast. So you're building insurance products. What's that? Building and, building and distributing insurance products? Building and distributing. Sure. It's not just the insurance okay. itself, but it's also the customers changed. And then so right. once we do that, we are... Our goal now we're at about 80% distribution this way now is partnering with non-native or non-insurance native third parties and embedding ourselves into that. And, you know, there's a lot of work and a lot of talk about embedded insurance out there now, embedded financial services, you know, Plaid really made that a fad with the VCs. Um, But, you know, it's the same concept that, that whether you are a broker managing um, private equity portfolios, it's the concept of finding an entry point that's, you know, has better, better economics, um, serves a better value proposition for the stakeholders, um, and allows you to analyze risk, distribute risk, um, and transfer risk, uh, you know, more efficiently. Awesome. Um, and your first product is called Tiger Mark, correct? It is. It is. So, We're really excited about it. So who, what is Tiger Mark? Who needs it? Who's buying it? What can you tell us about Tiger mm-hmm. Mark? Yep. So Tiger Mark, uh, I might have to tell you about the story behind the name too, but Tiger Mark's a a DNO based insurance product specifically built for companies that are leveraging the internet and or technology to raise capital. Um, It fits a very unique position in the insurance industry. Um, You know, there's the jobs act that were released through the Obama administration. Um, March 15th is a very important day but it's really enabled companies to raise capital a different way. And part of that, um, considering I'm speaking to insurance folks here, is the concept of it allows for general solicitation in the private markets. And so it's created this gray area between traditional private companies and traditionally public companies. And it's it's welcomed a whole, but it goes back to Shirley's thesis is that industries are changing. Insurance products need to adjust to those changes. And, you know, the private security space and the capital raising space is changing. It's changing fast. There's a lot of software that's coming into the industry and that's allowing for different business models and folks to operate differently. We are just simply changed, uh, you know, changed an insurance product to adjust for those risks. Got it. And so this, you know, kind of, uh, can can you give me an example, right? So this is about um, being able to publicly raise, like go out and say, Hey, I'm raising money. And, and, um, who, who, who does, who's buying tiger mark? Who's, who's the, um, who's the buyer? Uh, like, do I need tiger mark? Does, do investors need tiger mark? Do consumers need it? Who's the buyer in the situation? Yeah, no. So the end end buyer, the policyholder is the company raising capital. Okay. So let's use broker boot as a potential example. Okay. So, what you're going to do, Jay, is you have this great idea that you're going to digitize some analog workflows for the insurance intermediary space. Crazy. And 
fantastic, critical value proposition for the industry. Um, you know, full disclosure, everybody, I'm a buyer of Broker Buddha, a customer. Um, and you say, listen, we need to get, you know, somewhere between a half million bucks and a million dollars to get off the ground, get a use case in. And instead of going to VCs or friends and family, we're going to go create a web page. We're going to create all of our offering documentation. Okay. And we're going to start marketing it to any person in the United States over the age of 18. That, okay. can, that can be venture capital uh, firms. That can be family offices. That can be a broke ass college kid, you know, at Southwest State um, that just really is passionate about Jason's haircut and wants to throw $150. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, haircut. Right. And so that, whether you're raising your pre seed, um, today's regulations allow for uh, unaccredited investors to participate up to a million dollars. It's actually yeah. 1.07 um, if you take inflation. Starting, starting March 15th, it will allow for that to happen up to $5 million raises. The next, the next layer is regulation A, which will uh, today allows for $50 million raises, same way. It's kind of like okay. a mini IPO, which will be changing up to 75 million. Right, so why do I need insurance for that? You need directors and officers insurance, bud. So yeah. you start bringing external, external investors onto your cap table. Yep. You start, if you have a board, the same value proposition for directors and officers. Okay. The main difference is that when you generally solicit, when you have five, 10 closely held investors on your cap table, it's a much different risk profile than when you have 100, Got 4,000 investors on your cap table. And this is where it comes to that difference between public company and private company. Okay. Risks. So I'm, I'm at risk of some crazy kid who decided to throw me, you know, 50 bucks into my, or whatever, 500 bucks into my, you know, half a million dollar round. He decides to sue me for, because he's, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Who cares? doesn't matter why. Right. He, he just decides, he, he feels a, like. He could send you a text message. He could send you, send your, one of your officers an email and saying, Hey, I'm pissed. And, right. and for what <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to deal with that. Right. I need to be protected from that. Okay. I got it. Awesome. Um, so, so, uh, I mean, tell me, you know, I love stories like yours, David. Uh, and, and I love guys who are doing things like taking a 10 year swing at something, you know, or however many years it is. Um, but tell us a little bit about something that, that, that you think your, your agency does better now than when you first started. Oh, so all everything. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's, that could be, that could be applied on a daily basis. I mean, the, um, the velocity of learning right now is just, is, is really high. Right. Um, and I think there's a certain couple milestones that we got through. Um, so we're out. So what were our first product, uh, Tiger Mark, we're out in the market right now talking to carriers, you know, kind of updating it slash, getting more capacity. Right. And I think going through this a second time and productizing the process has been, um, the process of getting care, the process of getting carriers to back it, the pro which process. Yeah. Just running the process. Right. And yeah. it's very similar to running a process, like going and soliciting capital for, for yeah. operating, you know? Um, and I think, you know, again, not to bring up Ty's name again, but Ty's one of the best in the business and it's, it's fun to watch him learning and, 
watch him saying, Hey, if we could do it this way, it would even be better. And we have the opportunity to actually apply that and productize that and start adding software to that. And so when you start taking analog processes or things the way that, that we were successful doing things because we were kind of better than the average bear in our old world, um, taking some of the things that we did really well and making them better, going out and trying it a little bit and saying, oh, we fell on our, we fell on our face and, or this was a colossal miss um, and saying, okay, let's try it again. Uh, and then saying, oh shit, we got that right. Let, <laughs> let's automate a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, right. And so I think, uh, what are we doing better? Um, we're learning what we did wrong faster. Right. Um, which is harder to do at the place you were at before. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And I think get that and, opportunity. And it's, it's harder without reps. And I think it was interesting. Um, we ripped the bandaid off right before coronavirus or quarantine set in on uh, direct directly marketing versus through distribution channels, a hundred percent or through, I'm sorry, third parties. Right. And what that did was it allowed for us to get a more intimate understanding of our customer and allowed us to gain product market fit way faster. Um, I don't think we fully established product market fit, but we're damn close. There's some nuances. And I think the, the next, the next release of our product, which is, you know, I've learned through my engineering team that, and Jay, you know, this, you're an engineer. When we, when we say product, it means the tech. It doesn't mean right. the insurance. Right. You know, yep. Two different next, products. Release of the product, next release of the product is, is going to be significant. Um, and I think it's really going to open up a lot of doors for us. So Dean, going back, it's a long way of answering the question. We're learning way faster you know, right. from, from soup to nuts, learning, learning better, learning faster on hiring decisions, um, learning faster on where we spend money with external consultants yeah. Um, what words we do and do not use with our customers, those things. David, I'm sure it was hard to get your first uh, either both carrier and investor um, excited around what you do. I mean, everybody it was like, oh, yeah, you got a great idea. Good for you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then you've always got the, you know, this is insurance. People are uh, risk averse. They're like, ah, maybe, maybe good idea, but like not for me. How do you, how did you get your first, uh, how do you get past the initial naysayers, whether it was either on the investor side or the carrier side and, and really land um, your first true partners? And, you know, you can pick an investor there, you can pick a carrier there that's backing the product, but like, what, what was it that got you over the hump there? Because that, that, that first step is a big one for every entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and, you know, which one would you pick, which, which hump would you pick and, and how'd you get through it? Um, let's, let's, let's take all three paths and kind of separate them, right? Okay. So let's go through like customers slash partners. Okay. Um, we had a lot of folks, uh, when we were talking about this, like, Oh yeah, that's, that's cool. That's neat. That that's really something that should happen. Right. right. Um, it came down to finding that one person that, and this is not unique to anybody else. In fact, they had an open, this is obviously pre quarantine. They had open office hours. Um, I'm from Minnesota. This, this, uh, company happens to be in Minnesota. Okay. I just walked into their office. Um, and you what know, type of, so is this a carrier investor? What, who is this our first distribution partner? Distribution partner. Okay. Got it. So somebody right. who was willing to kind of help take you guys to market this idea. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And is so it, he had, it was interesting. His value proposition was not exactly the value proposition that we were selling. He bought it a little bit. He bought not what we were selling. And that's back to, you know, product market fit is understanding what 
what the value proposition was for these intermediaries that are intermediaries, right? What it is for their end customer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, when it comes to the when it came to the carriers, I mean, Ty's name. Hang on. What 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 got him? What what got him over the line? What was the thing that that changed the game? Reputational risk was a big piece. So the external value proposition of insurance, right? If you think about this, right? You know, what is what are we really selling? Is we're selling emotions. We're selling trust. We're selling confidence. Yep. Right. We're selling, you know, the, the, the conception of safety, right. Is that the right word? Perception. <laughs> Perception. Perception. Both yeah. of those, right. Okay. <laughs> we can conceive <laughs> safety as well. My grammar <laughs> safety. It's <laughs> exciting. Here's this. Um, no, the, but it's also like the confidence with the confidence is an important thing to think through is the confidence of vendors, the confidence of regulators, the confidence of your customers. Um, internal confidence. And I know the, the confidence of regulators and, uh, in just generally having that additional layer of, of, of perceived safety yeah. um, was what he was looking for. But the confidence, the external confidence and that symbol of confidence was, was a big, big piece of the puzzle for him. And how, how did you get him that comp? Like what, what, what was it that got, what, what gave him the confidence to, to work with you? And was there, was it Ty? Was it you? Was it, um, like the home connection, like what was the, what got him over the I think home? there was a little bit of, of the, of just the fact that I walked into his office. I think he was a little bit, I think you just. This, this guy's got balls. Yeah. Like, that's I think that's that, the new investor bitch. You just walk that, in. I think that went down, you know, that could backfire. Obviously we've seen that go the other way. I think yep. if somebody walked into, you know, we office out of a, out of a house in, in central Austin now. <laughs> if somebody walked in the door here like i mean it's it's texas people have guns here you never know what's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but i think that he he appreciated that but i think in general um something we got right was that we weren't out there just to sell a financial service there was a lot of features that we put into the product that satisfied the advancement of the core industry yeah. from adding capital raising features to under intimately understanding this marketplace, intimately understanding the ecosystem and the players, um, and then building product features to support that. Um, couple of examples is we have guaranteed pricing before a company raises and our pricing adjusts based on how much, how much they raise. Hmm. That can't happen in insurance in the right. in analogs in the analog world. And that was an important piece of the puzzle for them. And it's a core feature of our product. Nice. Uh, the external symbol of the external tiger mark symbol where they can click on a button and submit a claim and we're not afraid to put that externally. Right. Right. These little features that um, actually have, they help us from a risk mitigation perspective or pieces of puzzle that they just haven't seen in the insurance world that it's like, he didn't care about insurance. He's like, you understand what we're trying to do. Right. And he built features. And I think, it was, it was a holistic value proposition that was important. Cool. What about on the carrier side? Um, <sighs> well, I don't want to, I don't want to. You want to go into detail there? Yeah. No, the short answer is there's aligned incentives of the way that we're underwriting. Right. Sure. There's a, aligned incentives. When you properly align incentives um, and understand the challenges that the carriers have around distribution, around risk management, um, and very eloquently point at those challenges and then help and work with them around those solutions. 
you know, it's, again, I, I'm being vague because I'm being vague. Um, but a lot has to do with, when I was a broker, there wasn't necessarily aligned incentives. My incentive was to not get fired by my customer. Right. 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 Um, and as an MGA and in the way that we're underwriting, the way that we're, we're creating partnerships and an agency in the industry here that we're operating in um, has very clear aligned incentives with everybody involved. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, last question, David, be, uh, before we finish with the, uh, with Jason's sign off is, is what's next for your company? You guys are going to, you know, do you, do you have more products in the, in the loop coming or coming out and uh, focus on tiger mark for now, but more products on the way. We're, we're actively building other products. We actively have um, two products out the market. Um, they're not necessarily MGA based products, but they're more the way that we want to distribute in industries that we want to operate in. But I mean, the, the biggest piece is building supply, right? So building right. supply, building that, that, that inventory side of stuff, and then, you know, start putting some really strong analytics over the top of it where decisioning and ultimately marketplace orchestration um, can be, you know, applied. Um, you can't necessarily do that. It's, it, when, you, when you build a marketplace and, when, and whether brokers and agents want to think of it or not, we are a marketplace. We, we are a two-sided marketplace, right? Connecting supply and demand. And if to build that from scratch is almost like building two companies at the same time. It's tough. Right? And so it's a matter of going both sides and kind of building it lockstep with each other. But um, the demand has been there. Um, supply is a big piece of the puzzle. There's folks like Jason out there that are making that easier for us. Um, and we very Try. much want to leverage other insure techs and partner with other insure techs that are doing that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, there's, there's stuff that Jason's doing that, that he's going to do better than us. And we want to, we were happy to pay other folks and vendors to do stuff that's outside of our core, our core strategy. Yeah, the, the, the winning strategy is to focus, right? Do what you do well and, and partner with the people who, who do their things well. So, so in the near term, it's supply, building up supply, going in, in, in kind of, uh, I mean, cashing in on some of those partnerships that, that we, we spent a lot of time building on the distribution side. And then nice. we'll have marketplace orchestration will build over the top of, of both of them. Awesome. So um, pr appreciate you coming on the call with us. I want to wrap up with a yeah. kind of a, uh, important question that I like to ask everybody, which is uh, tied to a little bit to our brand and, and, uh, and the Buddha here, which, which gets a lot of love, but uh, enlightenment uh, is defined as the state of having knowledge or understanding. And so uh, as an enlightened agent, I wanted to ask you what, what special knowledge do you or you t or your team have uh, that sets you apart? What makes you guys enlightened? Um, and it's okay to talk about yourself. This is one of those <laughs> excuses where like, you know, you, you can build yourself up here. So, well, it's interesting because when it comes to our team, I'm the schlub, right? <laughs> you know, we have founders or founding members or key executives of people that have raised, you know, over $700 million of VC capital in the insure tech space with a couple exits. Right. And so, um, modesty. All right. Then you're going to have to leave David. We're going to bring him. It's <laughs> okay. You know, I'm the only one. I'm the only person that had capacity on our team. You got me. They're, they're all busy working. Good. Good. You're, well, it seems to me you're doing it right then, but. Oh uh, yeah. No, I think that just not being afraid to being wrong. I think, you know, 
when I first kind of left the corporate space, there was like that romantic appeal to innovation and startup space and everything was software and there was like, you know, algorithms like running around. And um, I think just the, the good old grinding, the, the figuring it out on the fly um, is something that we're really comfortable with. Um, and we're comfortable with it to a level that it really goes fast once we, once we start figuring that out. That's great, David. Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this. I love talking to, to, to entrepreneurs like yourself and, and people who are, are looking at things in a new way. So really appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's anything else you want to add before we go, that's great. But, uh, but we look forward to, uh, you know, here at Broker Buddha, they look forward to, to working with you. And uh, I definitely look forward to seeing where your company goes. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was fun. Appreciate you asking, uh, asking me to come on.